This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. This World Environment Day special is brought to you by Volvo Cars. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning. You're listening to The Prop Show on Morning Run. I'm Sim Wee Boon. Malaysia's land surface was once almost entirely covered with forests. But today, forests only cover about 54% of the total land area. And as our towns and cities continue to expand and concerns regarding restoration of forests intersect with each other, how do we balance between development and restoration? Can forests coexist with developing urban spaces? How do we restore those forests that we've lost? In conjunction with World Environment Day, I'll be exploring this issue with Zaiman Zulkifli, the Executive Director of the Tropical Rainforest Conservation Research Centre. Good morning and welcome to the show, Zaiman. So uh, let's start a bit with the Tropical Rainforest Conservation Research Centre. Tell me a bit about what you guys do, what have you guys done? Sure. Tropical Rainforest Conservation Research Centre, we started off in 2012 as a sister organisation to Landscape Malaysia, which was... Uh, chaired and uh, uh, run by the former First Lady, Tunjin Abdullah. Our programs in Landscape Malaysia was predominantly focusing in advocacy, so pretty much kind of awareness raising and pushing for the plight of uh, kind of safeguarding our endangered plants. But as the organization grew, uh, it started to look into kind of the larger picture. So wanted to get his hands on the ground, and wanted to kind of work nationwide to reach higher conservation kind of targets. So TRCRC was formed. And at TRCRC, we started in 2012, firstly in Sabah, and then slowly expanded into Peninsular Malaysia in Kerak. And our core programs uh, is looking into developing uh, what we call living collections, which is a, a, a kind of restoration initiative looking at safeguarding our in, endangered species of trees. So we focus in these two states, but we also focus uh, regionally. So since 2012, we've been growing uh, and developing programs within the ASEAN region as well, uh, focusing on peat. So we have an initiative uh, focusing on a certain, certain type of uh, uh, soil type, which is the peatlands, which we're all familiar with is, uh, when it goes up in flames, uh, it's responsible for haze within the region. So that is funded by the European Union. So these are our two kind of major programs that we have. Let's look at the kind of the themes of today's conversation. Let's start off with the restoration of forests. Why is it important for Malaysia to restore its forests? And perhaps what are the challenges that from your experience that you've come across with this regard? Yeah, um, so the biggest challenge is actually prioritizing your land and prioritizing where restoration needs to take place. Uh, we're quite fortunate. We have really quite large uh, national programs. So we have two programs looking into habitat connectivity. So habitat connectivity is, you know, a program where, you know, where you kind of like making sure the forests are functioning properly by being in continuous kind of attachments to each other. So our two, our two major programs is in, well, in Malaysia is the Central Forest Pine Initiative called the CFS Initiative and the Heart of Borneo. And these two look into how we can have a continuous forest from the north of uh, Malaysia all the way down to the south. And in Borneo, uh, within Sarawak, Brunei, uh, Sabah, and Kalimantan. So once we have a kind of indication of the priorities, 
And this can be for different reasons, right? You need forest effect forest in order to, to be able to function like, like a forest should function. The minute you put in roads in between them or develop between them, these forests actually lose their capacity to function. So the capacity to hold biodiversity, the capacity to regenerate all is diminished. So right now, what um, is actually being done right now is kind of prioritizing where these linkages should be and what should be done within them. And a lot of times, some of them are degraded because in the past, uh, before they've been uh, put into kind of this protection or prioritization aspect of things, it was previously uh, free for all, basically. So what we need to do is kind of focus on these this sites. So that's a key, key area that we need to focus on right now. Okay, so what's the progress with these focus? Is, is it still being in the process of figuring it out or have they determined it already? If yeah. that's the case, what are the prerequisites? So the, the major thing is basically looking at where the main corridors are. And once you find the main corridors, uh, it's up to the states then to look into uh, gazetting them. So a lot of times they're state lands and they're they are actually up for development or plantations or anything like this. So by first identifying them, which they already have identified, the next step is to then safeguard these areas. So by safeguarding these areas, it could be, you know, gazetting them as forest reserves, as wildlife corridors, and areas that, you know, can be utilized for, how do you say, um, key priority areas to not uh, be disturbed. And most of these areas are, you know, in, in really uh, remote places as well. So we have them, some, some of them, um, in, in areas where just a highway kind of crosses over. And what you need to do is just basically set up some sort of protection. Uh, and a lot of times they look into kind of developing corridors where uh, it could be a viaduct or animal crossing where some of these animals can cross. Uh, and sometimes some of these lands are also degraded because in the past, uh, uh, these lands were up for grabs. So there's been not many monitoring, not many safeguards for these lands. So sometimes restoration uh, is required for, for some of these lands. So that's what we're kind of doing at the moment. Yeah, so, you know, that, that leads me to the nice question in terms of the forest restoration efforts in Malaysia. How is that yeah. going? Well, the biggest restoration initiatives that are occurring right now are happening in Sabah. So Sabah has been kind of pushing, has been leading the restoration front in terms of the different states. Um, back in, you know, the 90s, they started up already kind of uh, restoring forests to offset for carbon, there's the InfraPro project that started in the early 90s. And so this has been going on. And these are quite large chunks of forest, you know, looking at 20,000 hectares or so. And we also have uh, the InIKEA project, which is actually funded by IKEA to look into restoring kind of habitats. And this is closer towards Malayo Basin in Sabah. So we have a lot to learn from Sabah and uh, they've been kind of leading the way in that. But in recent times, um, a lot of the priorities within Peninsula Malaysia has looked into kind of mangrove-related restoration. So there's been a lot of mangrove-related uh, restoration within Peninsula Malaysia that I've seen. When it comes to lowland forests in Malaysia, in Peninsula Malaysia, it's not too much of that going on. So is this a very difficult endeavor? I mean, how long does it take to restore forests? What are the kind of like processes that maybe not many people know? I think, you know, you, you talk to the regular Malaysian, you know, they might just think like, oh, it's just plant trees, right? But I'm pretty sure it's so much more complicated than that. Yeah, so it's actually quite a long process. So first of all, identifying the sites uh, which require restoration and what sort of uh, intervention is required. So what we do is we do a rapid assessment to kind of look into 
whether the soils are intact, whether there's any proximity to any parent trees that can, you know, assist the natural regeneration and whether or not, um, you know, any intervention is needed to. So before we get into any kind of uh, situation, first we see whether, you know, what is the will, willingness of the landowner or um, the area or the need for the area to be restored. Second is looking into, you know, what is the current state of that land. And then you then start with third into what is the um, kind of reference forest that you want to regenerate. Um, a lot of times you need to look into a, a primary forest that is a close proximity, you know, probably just one kilometer away and, see, and do a reference forest kind of um, uh, framework to look into the type of species that is needed to restore uh, these forests. So once you get to that stage, okay, fine. You already know what the site is like. You already know what the type of species you need to be planting for. You really need to come up with a strategy and a plan. And sometimes these plans uh, take up to, you know, it's a long-term plan. It's five years to, to restore some of these lands all the way up to 10 years. Uh, I would say five years is the minimum because you need to basically be doing a lot of um, maintenance and monitoring to make sure that they are successful. So once you get these plans up, it's not only in terms of operational plans, but you need to also develop uh, plans that are, how do you say, financial plans for it. You know, these things cost money. And in order to do this, we need kind of long-term funding to make sure that it's uh, prolonged and, and done in the correct way. Now, the biggest challenge is when you are restoring this forest, we're talking about Malaysia being the one of the most biodiverse areas, terrestrial areas in the planet, right? And so you're not talking about one or two species to be introduced in these areas. So once you've got a kind of baseline and know what kind of species you're going for, uh, primary forests can have as much as 200 to 300 different species of trees uh, in a single hectare. And in terms of uh, numbers, that can be close to about 3,000 stems in a single hectare. So you're looking at a very complex ecosystem with uh, species that, uh, you know, require or have different requirements and reproduce differently. So you need to have supplies of the species that are also relevant for that restoration project. So what we normally do is we, every time we start up different initiatives, we make sure that we have uh, set up uh, nurseries beforehand. So setting up nurseries beforehand is very important because um, that's your source of, of all your restoration materials, your, your nurseries. And what is really important is to make sure that you are uh, restoring the forest with, you know, with the correct successional stage. So when a forest is uh, degraded, it has different kind of stages which it regenerates from. Uh, and sometimes, you know, you, you might have a bare open area and you want to put in like your crops or your trees that will just uh, make sure the soils are stable and regenerate soils. So there you could use pioneer species. But when you get to a stage where you want to introduce the climax species, uh, uh, the dipterocops, which is this family of trees with that did dominate the lowland forest, uh, they sometimes fruit and flower only five to seven years. So you have to have um, long-term planning when you come to this developing restoration programs. Do you feel like the government has shown enough willpower or enough uh, political will to work in restoring, maintaining, protecting our forests? I know that the Malaysian forestry policy was only released in March. Given the current situation and perhaps, you know, looking forward, where does policy fit in this conversation? Yeah, so we have um, quite good policies in place. 
uh, we have good initiative initiations uh, initiatives sorry um, such as you know recently the 100 million tree campaign was recently launched and that is looking at you know planting 100 million trees uh, and plants um, throughout the whole of Malaysia and so it could these kind of things could have really good kind of um, how do you say direction into pushing for um, uh, restoration of these critical corridors that would that I talked about in the beginning but it has to go hand in hand with good management of uh, natural forests restoration is only the the last kind of kind of um, effort that needs to be done that's right at the end where you actually need to have some human intervention if managed well and if carried out in in the highest certification kind of standards you actually do not have to be doing that much restoration because uh, a natural forest can be logged very lightly and can regenerate if given the correct amount of time and management uh, the problem is um, some of these cycles are expedited and sometimes uh, more is taken out than what is uh, usually uh, recommended so this is the this are the cases where you know uh, mismanagement and a little bit of kind of uh, uh, poor uh, enforcement uh, puts some of these lands in a state where they cannot regenerate by itself and then restoration is needed. Very interesting. Okay, we're going to take a short break for some messages. Don't go anywhere. BFM 89.9. Welcome back. You're tuned in to The Property Show on The Morning Run. I'm Sim Boon, and with me today is Zaiman Zulkifli, the Executive Director for the Tropical Rainforest Conservation Research Centre. It's a World Environment Day special, and we've been exploring the topic of forest restorations and urban development. Now, Zaiman, I want to ask you a somewhat of a bigger picture question. How do we balance between more development of living and commercial spaces like homes, shopping centres, car parks, with natural spaces like forests and mangroves. What are your thoughts on this? So what you need to do is have a kind of very macro kind of view of what you're doing, right? Coming up with a strategy and a plan that can allow forests to function at the same time, you know, have your development is something very kind of discussed quite a lot around the kind of modern cities right now. So how do you strike that balance? You know, um, forests and, and certain species that it contains require certain amount of space and certain species can also kind of uh, function within a matrix of urban and forested areas. So with good planning, right, what we could do is utilize, uh, you know, places like waterways to increase habitat connectivity, you know, uh, river systems within urban areas um, that can be multifunctional for biodiversity and for recreational, for example, uh, can lead to uh, some of these patches of forest being able to function and being able to hold biodiversity as well. Um, what is important is to look into kind of like the roles of what forest kind of plays, you know, so forests play many, many different roles. They can be recreational, they can hold biodiversity, they can stabilize soil, they can provide fresh water. So looking at how we can introduce these services as part of, this, of, of the requirements of a city is very important, you know. Water catchment areas, water and, and security from like landslides and things like these are very much concerns of many different kind of residents living close to forests. So, you know, just making sure that, you know, these forests are able to function and 
pro provide that role to the citizens is something important that that we often forget. You know, people often forget. You know that these trees and these forests play a function. So what needs to be done is you know making sure that these functions and these uh, requirements are balanced out. You need to strike a balance in anything. Uh, push too far and develop too much into the the hills and in, into the the forested areas, and you're going to get landslides. You're going to get um, water issues because of land slippage into into waterways and things like this. So this balance, you know, needs to be looked into at as a, as a very holistic way. And I would push for the planning departments of the different ministries to to push for these efforts. Right, our forests play many 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 different roles. And in order for this forest to continue to play these roles, we need to be able to make sure that our ministries and our agencies are talking to each other, making sure the wildlife department and the forestry department and the water department are all kind of working hand in hand. Because right now, uh, if you kind of separate them all out, it looks like separate issues. But down, when it comes down to it, it's actually uh, same issues really. You're talking about speaking to each other. I mean, land is a state issue as opposed to a federal matter. And because of that demarcation, it really complicates things. Do you think it'd be better if the federal government uh, or the federal policymakers have a more direct hand in kind of like the planning, the handling of forests or, you know, or it, perhaps there is another way about that the government can help encourage for better planning in that respect? It's a very old system in place where, you know, states make their revenue from land. So they make their revenue from forestry-related work, from mining, from all these kind of um, um, kind of very basic um, industries, right? I think what needs to be done is a bigger shift where states can uh, get revenue from different sort of income streams so that they do not need to just rely on this mining and, and, and forestry-related kind of work. Um, so that they can, you know, cover their costs, the state's costs. Another way is to give uh, the federal government to give more incentives for uh, states to conserve their forests, right? Right now, carbon is a major uh, topic. And so if, uh, if, if we, are, as Malaysia, are going to take this as a serious matter, we have a, quite a lot of land and quite a lot of forested areas that can store carbon. We need to jump on this bandwagon that the whole world is moving on and make the best deal that Malaysia can make in order to safeguard our forests and receive incentives for it internationally to, to save this forest. And that incentives needs to not only go to the federal government, but needs to go all the way down to the land and to the ground that will then kind of affect kind of how, how, how states make an income and how communities can make an income as well. So these are some of the practices that we need to kind of start to move forward into. Another paradigm to this conversation are developers, right? Is there any way for developers, for the private sector to holistically incorporate greenery, holistically incorporate conservation or restoration into their plans, you know? Yeah, I think the biggest way of doing it is looking at it as a, as a way of making yourself more marketable, right? Right now, the current kind of younger generation, the buyers are looking for not only a home to invest in, but also a concept as well to invest in. So they want to be kind of buying into uh, uh, companies or, or organizations which are making sure that they are, you know, across the board, uh, 
ensuring that the sustainability level is, uh, uh, how do you say, uh, sound, sustainably sound. So what I've noticed is um, um, that when you do this uh, and when you carry out some of these uh, uh, practices, uh, you are then opening up yourself to a new market of, of buyers, you know, who are looking into um, the cause rather than just the investment, you know. And so this is kind of where we should kind of head to and everybody is kind of moving into that, that direction. And I think Malaysian companies can easily be doing that. Um, we can easily jump aboard uh, different goals and set yourself targets that you track. So companies can set themselves targets and motivation. And, and actually the first thing is actually tracking down, for example, their sustainability in every single aspect, you know, in terms of, you know, carbon emissions, in terms of uh, uh, sourcing from local kind of um, sources, uh, how sustainable those things are. And in every single way that can be measured, right? So first of all, it's very important that a measurement is first carried out and reported to, to the public or for example, within your, your annual reports. Secondly, is to then set targets, once you have this baseline, is then to set targets to where you then want to go towards. So for example, uh, I work with a, a large developer and they are looking into how they can mark themselves each year to certain targets of having a benchmark of you know the sustainable development goals, for example. So what is important is uh, going for goals or strategies which are which are internationally renowned so the sustainable development goals are quite uh, sound targets to reach for and within those goals there's many many different kind of targets right within those goals you yourself as a company can set a certain benchmark where you want to reach towards and i think um, that will will create a lot more transparency that would create a lot more uh, interest and public can then uh, track you and, and follow you whether or not you are pushing for the right causes that you're, you're claiming to. All right. And that's all the time we have for today's property show. Thank you for being in the show, Zaiman. That was Zaiman Zulkifli, the executive director of the Tropical Rainforest Conservation Research Center. I'm Sim Boon, signing off for the morning run. We've got the 10 a.m. news bulletin coming up next, followed by Enterprise, BFM 89.9. Property Show on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. This World Environment Day special was brought to you by Volvo Cars. Redefining freedom to move in a personal, sustainable and safe way. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.